This show is sponsored by the O'Reilly Software Architecture Conference. There will be three of them in 2020. New York in February, Santa Clara, California in June, and Berlin in November. I'm kind of a conference tourist and I visit lots of conferences, but this one is from my experience an absolutely fantastic conference. They host a lot of the top-notch speakers in the field and you can learn from their latest ideas and experience. You can find out more at oreillysacon.com. Furthermore, you can save 20% on your pass with the code CASE. This is C-A-S-E. See you there. Welcome to a new conversation about software engineering. And my guest today is Peter Elger. Uh, Peter is the CEO of Four Theorem, and he is the author of the book AI as a Service, which is about how to leverage cloud-based AI services and cloud technologies themselves to build AI-powered applications. Peter, welcome to the show. Hi, Sven. How are you doing? Thank you very much for having me on. Appreciate the opportunity to talk to you and, and your audience. Yeah, I am appreciating very much to talk to you about a topic um, I, you know, I was kind of pliant until until last year, so to speak, um, or maybe half a year ago. I mean, not AI in general. I mean, we see all those crazy things happening in AI, you know, self-driving cars, Google AlphaGo, the Boston Dynamic humanoids and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I'm in, in, let's say, in a quote-unquote normal business. I work with retail, finance, things like that, companies like that. Um, what are typical use cases for those businesses when it comes to artificial intelligence? You know, it, it's a great question. And uh, as you say, we've seen rapid and exciting progress in the field of AI over, over the last few years, um, really driven by the, the kind of increase in compute power that's enabled new uh, algorithms and approaches to, uh, to really come to the fore. Um, and if you go to AI conferences, you'll hear lots of really exciting talks about robots and machine vision and all of those great advances. But for, as you say, for typical normal businesses, those aren't the use cases uh, per se. Uh, really, what, what I'm interested in, and, and I guess you and maybe a, a lot of your audience are interested in, is how do we leverage this technology to make our jobs better, to, uh, to deliver better solutions for our clients um, without necessarily needing to go and get a PhD in machine learning? <laughs> and um, it turns out that that is something that is achievable these days, um, basically through through the use of, of the increased commoditization of AI services. So I'll give you an example of some use cases that we've done. Um, one, one great example would be around uh, KYC or Know Your Customer. Um, so that can be a laborious task of having to... Uh, manually read passport documentations, utility bills, and the like. That problem is now certainly very amenable to an AI-based solution so that almost 90% of that can be automated away. Uh, other typical use cases would be things like sentiment analysis. Um, they would be things like you know, um, prediction or forecasting trends, 
Um, we're also using it um, to actually operationalize uh, custom models in the agritech space, um, as well as a, a number of other areas. Okay, nice. Um, so utility bills means I never have to uh, <laughs> fill out my, let's say, my travel cost. Uh, I just make a photo um, of my bill and that's it. it so. Exactly, right? So if I can just take a photo of my bill um, and then I can have that automatically ingested and checked and fields extracted automatically, that's a great case. Hmm. That's the shell. Yeah, right. yeah uh, and basically those... Basically, everything you 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 mentioned um, uh, is uh, is basically available as a service. I don't have to, you know, build those AI applications uh, myself. That's correct. So if you um, if if you go and look, and I've done this exercise a couple of times now um, over the last last two years. If you go and look at the major cloud providers, if you focus on commodity, you'll see that there's been a growth in the range and scale and scope of the AI services they're all offering. And by major cloud providers, I mean Amazon, Microsoft, and Google. Uh, apologies if you're using other clouds, but that's really where the, the kind of arms race in AI is at the moment. Mm, and probably Alibaba or something. But yeah, but possibly, yeah, of course. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, but what you'll find is that those services that they um, they talk about break down broadly into two categories. So one category of services I would classify as really API-driven and true AI as a service. And the other category would be support for operationalizing AI. So I'll explain what I mean by that. So uh, under the AI as a service type category, you would have things like... Um, Uh, natural language processing, so understanding text, text classification, uh, voice-to-text, text-to-speech, uh, personalization engines, uh, text processing, natural language translation, uh, speech recognition, image recognition, um, and, and predictive analytics or forecasting using machine learning. So those types of things can all be, and, and those are all very useful in a business context, can all be accessed uh, through an API. So either a, a synchronous API pattern or for longer running jobs through an asynchronous uh, type of uh, consumption model. The other classification of services is really around the training and oper operationalization of AI. So things like the ability to run your custom TensorFlow models as a service uh, to do things like, Elast so I'm talking about things like Amazon's Elastic Inference Service, SageMaker, uh, and support for deep learning machine instances, um, support for TensorFlow out of the box in containers and so on. So all mm. of those help you to really help you to, to accelerate the training, to accelerate training in, in a scalable way on a pay-per-use basis, and then accelerate your delivery of, of your models uh, mm. to your audience or to your customers. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, you, you mentioned, when you mentioned a few services, and then you said, you know, there are, you know, tooling for training. I'm just wondering, like, text-to-speech or speech-to-text, I probably don't have to 
you know that 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 is something and i i can use this ai uh, api out of the box right i probably throw in an mp3 file and i get text back or i throw in text and i get an mp3 back something like that absolutely so things like that that are i would you would consider as commodity are solved problems right so those are mm. things you just you don't want to do yourself unless it's an incredibly specialist use case um and what we're seeing really is a growth in the commoditized services. So as as new AI services are researched and developed, they follow the commoditization path that we've seen with all technology. Uh, and why shouldn't they, right? Because they're yeah, useful yeah. In, in a business context. So really what you need to be considering when, you, when you're looking to apply these tools is, is there something off the shelf I can use? If it doesn't meet my needs exactly off the shelf, can I tweak it for my particular uh, domain. So an example would be natural language processing. Uh, if I want to classify some text as being uh, relevant to a certain area, um, that may mean I need to do an additional piece of, of, of transfer learning on that model. Um, and I can do that purely in an API-driven context. I don't need to necessarily understand the guts of what's going on under the hood with that model, I just need to provide some data that's specific to my use case, and then I can cross-train that model so it works more effective, effectively in my contacts. But all of that can be done through uh, a set of uh, commodity APIs. Hmm. So basically, um, I mean, I've I've lately seen it um, that you know there is a chatbot. Mm -hmm. And obviously, a chatbot, you you know, it's not a generic thing. You have to, yeah, you have to train it. But the question is, you know, to, to me, it was totally unclear how does such a training look like. You know, you do do you formulate uh, the typical sentences you expect? Let's say, you know, when when someone from an insurance or bank just says, "Hey guys, I am wondering what my contract ex uh, what my contract's doing," you know, and um, and that somehow you have to to teach the uh, you know your service what what's the, the 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 input and you know what do I want to get out of the let's say what what the customer says or writes down. Yeah, that's right. I guess with, with chatbots, the, the way that you would use a commodity chatbot isn't isn't really training per se. What you're really doing is supplying a set of intents um, and and slots uh, to, to to a pre-trained chatbot. So you're saying I'm expecting to if I get a date field or I get um, this particular keyword, then I know that I'm I'm roughly in this space and I will respond in that way so what it does over and above just a rule-based approach is that um i let's take the canonical example of um of ordering something online um or scheduling scheduling a meeting let's say then i should be able to say to the chatbot uh i'd like to schedule a meeting and i would like that and the chatbot should respond great when do you want it and i should be able to say next wednesday um, and then it should execute that and put that meeting in my diary and that kind of thing is uh, is very simple to do with commodity uh, chatbot services. Yeah, but w what do I need to know upfront if I want to to do that? You know, how do I let's say define those requirements? Because in a let's say in a in a normal application, I just say you know someone is you know if you click on that button, 
if then the following thing should happen under certain circumstances. And if I have a chatbot or, you know, something I have to train somehow, I mean, tra as you said, training is, it's not the, it, it, it's not training. It's what is it? You're basically giving a set of in, intents and expressions. Intent. Yeah, exactly. So if, but you, you, you kind of have to sit there up front and think about all, you know, several combinations. Um, you, to an extent you do, but, but, Generally, it's it's loose as you say. It's looser than a, a, an absolute set of uh, requirements, right? But the way to go about that really is to say, what is it that I want the, the if we're taking the specific case of a chatbot, what it what is it that I want the, the chatbot to be able to do for me? Do I want it to, be able to order pizza, or do I want it to schedule meetings, or what, whatever that list of things is? Then, really, what you want to do in terms of defining your requirements is these are the output functions that the chatbot can achieve. Um, and then your test cases, uh, you can put a myriad test cases against that as long as your test cases then map through and the execution of what you want to happen has occurred. And you can measure that externally, obviously, by stubbing out um, external interfaces and so on. Then that's really the approach to, to kind of testing and regression testing and uh, requirements against the chat type interface. Hmm, okay. And um, yeah, I think testing is, is another interesting topic because there is you, you probably cannot use JUnit and um, have an equals statement. Uh, it's not, not quite that, no, exactly. Um, but if you're again, if you're looking at the, the chat case, then really what you're saying is uh, I, I, let's, let's say it's scheduling a meeting, right? So I want this to schedule a meeting. Here's 10 different conversations that should end up in a meeting being scheduled. Um, and then by playing those conversations in, I can then check that an API call is made at the end of the process uh, and, and that meeting is scheduled as expected, right? So it, it can be done, uh, but you're right. It's not really unit um, J-unit kind of level testing. Hmm. So it's more that um, I get a, a probability back that, you know, the, the person answered, I think the person answered tomorrow, uh, three o'clock. And, um, and I can say that, you know, the chatbot can say that with a probability of 90%, 100%, 70% or something like that. Yeah, but your, your test cases should be the same each time, right? Because if I sent, if I, push my test case in and I have and that's the conversation that says tomorrow at three o'clock then I should be able to to confirm that the, the mm. has in fact um, schedule that meeting at that time right mm. yeah I I in the current project uh, I also you know we we had a let's say a recommendation engine yeah you know which is obviously also a nice case and there the testing um, the, the testing was quite interesting that you look at s several customers and you look what they already, what they already bought mm -hmm. and, um, you know, in real life, and then you remove those, um, you know, those items from, you know, from the list and you, you check if they would be recommended. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, recommenders are certainly you're, you're certainly dealing with a more probabilistic outcome with with, uh, with a recommender than you are with that that kind of uh, chatbot that we just described. Hmm. And a recommender. So how do you also have to? You, you probably have to 
give the the, rec the recommendation engine also you know an intent or or or, or some sort of of data right well, so yeah um, of course you, you need to feel, i mean the, the, the then they become more accurate well accuracy depends on the user i guess at the end of the day but they certainly become more accurate mm -hmm. the more data you can feed in right so um, they, they should improve over time that the as you get larger and larger data sets right Hmm. Okay. Okay. Ah. So it. Uh, yeah. Usually, you s in the beginning, it could be that it's not so great, but over time, you you get better. Yeah. I mean, that sounds um, that sounds pretty cool. So I don't think that I you know when when I have to when I want to use those services, I don't need to learn um, multi layer neural networks with uh, I don't know back propagation or something like yeah, that yeah i mean it's it's a the thing is that i mean ai whilst there's been a lot of um recent hype about the technology it's been around for quite a long time uh the research has been ongoing for a long time so through from i suppose the early 50s um there were attempts to build uh, or to mimic neurons uh, in hardware um, and there were, were various kind of false starts. You may have come across the first, the, the AI winters, where funding for AI just dried up because there was really um, a, an overpromise of what the technology could achieve and an, an under-delivery. And I guess really, if you look at the history, the under-delivery was due to a lack of compute power. Uh, and as Moore's law has kind of progressed over uh, over the last uh, few decades, that compute power has become available. And so, what we couldn't do with AI uh, a couple of decades ago, we now can, and that's why we're now seeing this this uh, increase in in the technology. But it has been bubbling away for a long time, which means there's an awfully large body of academic and applied research uh, to go through, and it's quite confusing. To try and understand all of that, uh, you really need to be deeply embedded in the in the whole space for for a number of years to become a become an expert. And I suppose the message of the book is that you don't need to do that. Uh, higher level mm. understanding and a focus on the business problem can get results rapidly uh, by using commoditized services rather than needing that that kind of PhD, right? Yeah, but. Um... You know, now now I'm happy because we have all those commodity services and, you know, text-to-speech, speech-to-text, uh, image recognition, um, or let, let's say text-to-speech, speech-to-text. That is something, you know, which is really easy to use. You know, I, it's, it's basically, you don't have to know anything, I, I would assume. You just, you know, throw in some data and you get some data back in other cases like a recommendation engine or a chatbot maybe also image recognition you have to tell the system what you probably expect to to come back right so you there you you need to do a little bit like you know the what what you said with the intent and um uh, and and feeding data and generally like though, that. what you do with the image recognition services is to say um find X number of labels. So you're saying in this image, I only want you to label five things that you find in the image. And I only want you to return things that you find in the image with a confidence interval of greater than 95%, let's say. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so you can you can kind of tune the accuracy in the sense that if I want 
just guesses, then I reduce the confidence interval. If I want to be very, very sure of what what the uh, what the API is detecting, then I can ask for a very high confidence interval and and less labels uh, in the image. Hmm. So is it really that you know when when I look at um, builds, for example, you know for my travel cost, I just you know I just have my application and I say make a photo. And then upload the photo, and I want you. Know, I want to see everything with a probability higher than ninety-five percent. But I still need to understand, you know, what is really the cost, what is the tax. Yeah, um, what happens there is that um, this the, actually this is a very interesting um, uh, piece of commoditization <laughs> around this. So we did some work for a client um, about two years ago, I think it was now, where where we were doing some KYC work, um, which was scan a bill um, and and figure out what the fields were. So particularly, this was get name and address, get uh, a meter number, uh, and so on out, out of a utility bill. Now. We had to do that uh, by using a, a. We took an open source um, library that did uh, the, the the kind of um, image to text, so OCR, um, and then we had to do some maths to figure out which uh, how how the, the the text blocks related to one another, uh, and mm, okay, okay. identify those text blocks, then run them through a classifier, and then extract the data. Right now. About a year later, um, all three of the, the main vendors uh, released their own form recognition services. So basically, the the work that we'd done within a year was commoditized. So we wouldn't have worked in that way uh, had we to do it again. We would have just used the off-the-shelf service. So often, just by waiting a while, you can actually get a service that you want to use, right, and save yourself some time and time and effort, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Um, I mean, so so that means that uh, I basically get two tools in one. So I get image recognition and the classifier, which understands you know text or address and really finds the the, the value um, of the text or, or the value of the address in, in the image. Because form processing is such a common business problem. Hmm. There's value in the commodity in the commodity providers providing a service for it, right? Um, yeah. It's where you start to get to the edge cases, which are are much more niche. But you have to consider how you do a transfer into that particular domain uh, that you can't just use commodity, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I like half a year ago or something. I I spoke to uh, a Actually, it was a general manager from AWS, uh, from from uh, you know, from AWS AI services. It, it was at a conference, and um, and he said, you know, I, I was like, well, wow, this is so cool, you know, I this is exactly for me, you know, <laughs> I just use it, <laughs> I don't need to know much. But but he said, nah, you know, you 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 should really understand. Uh, AI, if you use our services, and um, I'm just wondering, you know, to to what detail uh, do I need to understand it? Because I mean, obviously, if I if I use the cloud, you know, I somehow need to understand how the cloud works. But 
um, I do not need to understand how AWS or Google is, I don't know, you know, doing uh, scheduling or automatically setting up instances. I'm just wondering how that is with uh, with uh, you know to to what level should I learn AI so that I can use it safely? I, I think yeah, I think you should understand um, the basics of what each service is doing under the hood, so you can you can kind of connect it up to a mental model. Uh, one of the important things, of course, is understanding the cost control around how much a particular service is going to cost you when used at scale or cost your clients when used at scale. Uh, that's obviously an important thing to understand. But I'd, I'd kind of liken it um, to, to an operating system uh, in the sense that there are not many developers uh, working today that actually understand the guts of operating system mechanics, right, and, and how an operating system really works. Um, and I, but they, but most most developers understand it at a kind of higher level. They know there's a task scheduler and there's I/O drivers and all this kind of stuff, right? So they have a, a kind of rough idea. And I think it's it's that kind of level of understanding you should get to with with AI. So you have a rough idea of what's going on under the hood, uh, and you can understand roughly what the cost model is going to be for for consumption of any service. Um, don't get me wrong it's, it's a very laudable exercise if you want to go off and understand this stuff very deeply and become an expert in it absolutely go for it um but if your if your goal is more provision of business value through these services then a high level understanding will generally suffice yeah so i you know i want to use the the chatbot or the recommender and um, basically the documentation of the cloud provider should be enough i don't have to buy like a big book on uh, yeah generally should be enough um of course it's good to understand maybe a little deeper like what 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 do i think this is doing under the hood or if you can understand roughly what it's doing under the hood for your own sake right so you yeah i mean yeah i mean it's always good to to dive deep and you know basically you know, I, I like to to understand how things actually work mm-hmm. in absolute detail. Yep. But it's a big difference if you you know if you do that for fun. Yep. Um, or you if you if you really have to because if you don't, um, then you you jeopardize your 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 product. For example, the, the you know the, the the things you are building, let's say for for a bank or something like that. So you know. Another example would be um, how many web developers actually know in detail what happens when the, when the applications that they build load and execute. I don't know, but uh... <laughs> I mean in detail, right? In, in in terms of what the how the TCP protocol operates and so on, right? Mm. Probably most don't. Um, most don't need to know that because they're working several levels of abstraction above that. Yeah, um, it, I, I think it's a similar analogy here as well, right? As you're working at the business level or, or, or a few levels of abstraction above the service, and and that that's okay because you can still do useful work as long as you understand the parameters and boundaries of of the service you're using. Hmm. I mean, not in the case of web development. I mean, not everyone needs to know it, but there should at least, in my opinion, um, always a you know. A very senior person which understands everything to a very detailed level so that you know you can catch 
possible problems early enough and um well i tend to, I know, I think I'm, I'm one of those guys like you that likes to understand everything at a detailed level uh, but again it's, it's it's a matter of time as well right hmm. yeah, yeah 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 i don't i don't have to it's just out of interests that i exactly, yeah. yeah yeah i mean that's uh, that's pretty cool and i have the feeling that um Uh, I mean, you mentioned uh, quite a lot of services already, and I have the feeling, you know, the, the arms race, of course, is still ongoing, and uh, every once in a while, a new service will be, or every month or every two months, a new service will be launched by any of those providers. I think that's also pretty fascinating. Yeah, I think there's a, there's a, as I said, I think it is a bit of an arms race at the moment. Um, some of it is marketing hype, obviously. Uh, some services are, are wafer thin, uh, but some of them are, are genuinely um, <clears throat> game changing. Uh, depending on your on your your, your situation, um, hmm. I guess one of the other things I'd I'd kind of like to touch on as well is the whole idea of how you operationalize AI. Right, so it's one thing to consume a service that's great, but there's a kind of middle area in between, um, which is let's say that i've i've done some research and i built a model for a specific domain um how do i get that into production right um and, and again commodity ai as a service can help with that okay because i can go and run my own tensorflow mod models and build a, a big cluster or something like that or i can just use a service to execute my model um so amazon has something called SageMaker. Uh, Google and, uh, and Microsoft have something very similar where you basically, you can take your model and put it into context and have it execute and have the cloud provider take care of a lot of the kind of non-functional concerns around scaling. Uh, and scaling. Mm. and let's, let's bear in mind as well that it's not just operating and scaling the model. There are all of the non-functional concerns around, well, how do I get data into the model effectively? How do I get my results out? How do I monitor um, what's going on? How do I alert when it's when it fails? How do I do uh, a new build and get a new model into production? Because you don't just build a model and leave it for the next five years. Uh, you can, just as you are with code, you're constantly improving the parameters, of the model. So you need to keep updating um, your core service. So that requires a CI CD pipeline for your AI service in the same way that all of your other pieces of your system need, need CI CD. So there's an entire kind of, um, workflow and DevOps practice, um, around, around this that you need to adopt to be effective. Hmm. But you know, the, what I, What, what, what it's not quite clear to me is uh, when I use AI as a service um, and let's let's take the the, the chatbot or uh, yeah I mean it can be the chatbot or the recommender where I really have to do something not much but I have to do something obviously I try those things out uh, on a on a testing environment from AWS or Microsoft or Google. And then I, I have to get my intents or my data or, you know, all that I have to deploy to production, right? So it, that's, that's how I understand. So in my, whatever I'm doing on my testing environment, I, you know, I, I theoretically can use uh, the web interface, but it's better to use the API 
and basically propagate what I'm doing with the API in terms of, you know, putting in data or intent or whatever? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, so all infrastructure is code, right? Um, that, that applies here in the same way as it applies um, mm, all okay. on cloud work. So tools like Terraform or Serverless Framework, um, we've been using the CDK, which is a, a more imperative way of doing uh, infrastructure as code. Uh, but yes, absolutely. All all of these things, your environments all need to be committed into GitHub and, and all of your parameters around this need to be version controlled uh, in the same way as you would with any uh, with any service that you're deploying. Yeah. And basically, the, the let's say the, the web interface those services offer, they are just to they are just there to get everything known and get a little feeling for it. But once you have it, you you have to put it into code. Absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you mentioned uh, cost. Mm -hmm. uh, usually, you know, when we talk about cloud, you know, we are all very happy until the the first uh, you know, <laughs> the first invoice comes, right? Yeah. <laughs> first invoice is there. We are maybe not so happy with the cloud anymore. I mean, we we obviously have to do something to you know really leverage the. Um, leverage the cloud and you know the elasticity and stuff like that but for um but for ai services i mean i would i would guess uh it's it's a it's a pay-per-use model or is it really different you know it, it does it depend probably it depends. No, it's a pay-per-use model um okay. only for the api driven services pay-per-use um the i guess the the real uh, so yeah, if you're using those at scale, there's a cost, obviously. So you need to consider the same things as you would with any cloud platform is putting in billing alerts, making sure you're in control of the costs, um, making sure you've, you've got a, a good estimate of what the cost space will be before you go to production um, and, and monitor that as you would with the consumption of any service. Where you can get a lot of costs is um, in training. Uh, training is a fairly computationally expensive thing to do so if you're going custom uh then you can certainly leverage that scalability and and uh, compute power um but keep an eye on the on the costs right because that can that can mount up fairly quickly um running running models is is less computationally expensive generally than uh training but inference still still comes at a cost um, so you should be looking to optimize that that inference uh, and there are a number of additional services you can use to help you uh, optimize that. Mm. Um, what uh, what is an example of of cost? Let's say I I have text uh, speech to text, mm -hmm. and uh, okay, I make an API call, and um, the question is: so how much does one API call cost? And is it also is it only on the calls, or is it also you know the the megabyte I'm throwing in? Oh, I'd have to go and check the specific price. Okay. I don't know off the top of my head, but it's it's typically going to be on uh, you know uh, exec execution time of the model. I believe e each one has their own pricing model, so I couldn't tell you. Off the top of my head. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. But basically, yeah, it's. I mean, the main message is understand the pricing model. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> understand the pricing model exactly. Yeah, I mean, what I like with you know api services and their pricing model usually you know if you are very successful 
because you have lots of requests, because it's a popular functionality, then the cloud provider is also successful. And if you are not successful, they are also not successful. That's right, yeah. Yeah, so I think that's that's uh, quite nice. Um, one uh, question, you know, we, we talked about uh, uh, deployment, operationalize. Mm -hmm. um, we had testing, we had, um, you know, how to develop it. But um, when, when I'm a product owner, so how can I actually, how can I write requirements Because I, you know, I assume it's it's hard to to write down. You know, one, one example I, I recently heard. You know, I'm when you when you go back to uh, software architecture and you look at certain qualities, you know, of, of a software architecture, you can you can simply write. You know, I think you know this endpoint should respond in so and so many milliseconds uh, up to a load of I don't know 500 requests per second. Mm -hmm something like that. Uh, that type of scenario doesn't really work for AI. If I have a self-driving car, I cannot come up with all those scenarios and say, um, yeah, when a kid jumps in front of the car, um, you know, then break. Exception is, I don't know, if, you know, if it's, if you're too close to the child, then, you know, do something else, run into another cow. But I don't know. Are, right? those, so are, those are almost impossible to write, right? Be and, and the reason they're almost impossible to write is because those are moral decisions that you're talking about there, right? You've gone right, kind of right up the chain <laughs> to, to kind of human morals, right? And yeah, I mean, I, I, that, that was, it was just an example, but let's say if I have a, You know, if I have a recommender or a chatbot, uh, it's it's you know it's I think it's hard to write down if that happens, then do this, or is it I think too complicated? Well, I think for, it depends on the service. So you, you're right, yeah. I mean, in the sense that um, if if I feed them a picture of a cat, it should tell me that it's a cat. That's a fairly straightforward requirement to to. Mm. Um, but uh, as you say, there are some services where that's not so easy. So um, uh recommend recommender systems are one right so the recommendations will change based on the the increased amount of data that that comes in or you know forecasting um future events it, it, again it's all dependent on the quality and the uh the, the volume of data that the model has to work with so in that sense it is difficult to um to put requirements uh hard requirements around that um, I think you, you're probably more looking at, at, at KPI-driven type requirements, which would be at a high level. You know, what's my business goal? I want my forecasting to be 20% more accurate than my current forecasting model. Um, um, that, that yeah, I mean, that, that would be one thing. But, um, you know, if an, another thing would be, uh, you know, I... I We, we have recommendations and probably, you know, with the recommendations, we want to make more money. Yeah. So, of course, the hard KPI would be to see if we sell more items, for example. But um, when I have a, let's say, when I just get started, I'm just wondering, you know, how do you, how do you know it's enough? You know, this is a, a good enough solution to get started and get starting, you know, get started to measure real KPIs. Yeah, it again. It depends on the service, right? And and it is difficult. It may be that you can't until you've built up a a, a set of results, right? 
So if you're new to if you're new to um, doing uh, recommendations, then you, maybe what you need to do is is to run some experiments um, because it's it's non-deterministic. Um, so that would be: uh, Am I going to A/B test a couple of recommender engines or recommend hmm. services against each other and see which one gives me the better results? What, what do I mean hmm. better results? Well, you probably mean more sales. Um, so I think certainly for those types of systems, there is a, a certain amount of in-production experimentation if you're new to it, right? And again, that's what I mean. That's what Amazon do themselves. If you want to take that case, right, is they're continually optimizing their recommender system. Mm-hmm. Uh, they want to continually drive more sales, right? <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it, it's it's not a as you say, it's not a deterministic uh, problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, yeah, I think you know when it comes to to API driven services, um, you know my my questions are are answered. Um, but you you mentioned uh, now. You know, let's dive into another set of questions. You mentioned um, uh, like like training training services, or can you say general AI platforms, something like TensorFlow or StageMaker? Is that yeah? So there, I mean, there there are services, and again across the across the three large vendors, uh, which are really aimed more more to lower at a lower level, in a sense that the data scientists or machine learning experts uh, to help them with training. Um, and then for guys like like uh, that that are, that are operationalizing those services as well, right? Um, so SageMaker is is an interesting one. Helps you deploy uh, and train uh, models as a service. Um, you can go a lower level again and just use um, instances that are pre-configured with um, TensorFlow or Keras or, or pre-configured uh, images. Mm. It just make life a bit easier when you're when you're doing training. Um, so there's there's a number of options there. Uh, generally, we would go with a managed services if if possible. In other words, if there's no good reason not to, we would go with something like SageMaker if we're doing uh, if we're operationalizing on on Amazon. So the typical workflow there would be that we would work in conjunction with a, a client who may have done some research. Built a, a model which they validated in it, 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 not at scale, but they validated in a particular context. Um, so then we would help them to bring that onto um, onto production, and then put all of the the, the the bits around that, such as the deployment pipeline, such as the monitoring, alerting, all of those kinds of things that are required uh, in order to turn a piece of research into an actual um, platform that delivers value. Yeah, you, you mentioned uh, you know the the let's say the trade off. I have to to see if uh, if there is can I use already an API service for that? And if there isn't a service, I have to to use uh, SageMaker or TensorFlow or whatever Microsoft has. Yeah, but yeah, um, the first thing to do is to is to check whether there's a commodity service there, and or if there's a commodity service that I can transfer into my specific domain. So. Yeah. That, an example would be uh, natural language processing, right? So one can get standard services that will do named entity recognition. In other words, they'll, they'll recognize things within text. Um, but where they tend to struggle is when you go to a specific domain. So a good example would be the medical domain. Mm, uh, Words yeah. in there that just 
a a standard recommend a standard um, NLP engine wouldn't understand, but it can be cross trained into that domain to then understand the lexicon of, of terminology within the medical domain. And you can do that um, again API based within your specific uh, business domain. I mean, that's, I think that's a really interesting case because I, you know, the people I know who are in uh, NLP, natural language processing, you know, for them, it's like the, the totally normal business case that you give a doctor an iPad mm -hmm. and the doctor go, when, when a doctor visits the patients, uh, you know, the doctor just speaks to the patients and then explains everything and then says, okay, you know, just, you know, um, Put that into the record of the patient and uh, send it to, you know, send an email to the patient and also to the, you know, to the, to the, the doctor at home from the patient, mm -hmm. right? So, it, you know, it, it seems to be a normal thing in Scandinavia to do that. And I, I'm just wondering how that, you know, how do you, how do you combine, uh, like a service, uh, like Sage, SageMaker and, um, um, speech to text, you know, that, that's a bit unclear to me how, how I would approach that problem. If I have an API and I have TensorFlow and how can I bring those things together? Oh, yeah, well, that's, that's really about how you then assemble your, your pipeline. Okay. So if you're doing, if you've got to do multi, multi-phased work, um, on, on, on some, input data or maybe multiple input channels then that's about how you architect your your ml enabled uh, data pipeline so one one can imagine having uh, a number of inputs coming in um at the at one end which could be image data they could be it could be text and they could be related in some way i could feed uh one i could I could imagine feeding an image through a, a recognizer and getting some results out of that. That would give additional context that I could then use with the text to feed into a classifier to then get a response on the back of that. So it's, it's really quite fascinating as you start to combine these services together into ML-enabled uh, pipelines. Um, do quite a lot of interesting stuff, and you can have custom steps or commodity steps within that pipeline. It, it depends on the problem context. Mm, so the, how does the you know the, I, I understand uh, delivery pipelines, but how you know how does th this pipeline looks like? It's yeah, to me, it's let me give you an example from the book. Actually, it might hopefully make it a bit more concrete. So um, in in the book, we take the example of how do how do I manage uh, product feedback. So uh, let's say that I'm, I'm a large retailer and I've got several departments, um, I don't know, pet, beauty, whatever, right? Um, and uh, I'm getting feedback through web forms, email, you know, various social channels like Facebook and Twitter. How do, how do I take all of that feedback, which could be pretty, pretty large, right, over the course of a day or a month, there's an awful lot of uh, feedback coming in. How do I take that and figure out what's positive, what's negative, and then route it to the appropriate de appropriate department for processing, right? Well, you can do that with off-the-shelf, right? So I can I can feed data in one end and put that through a, a pipeline using something like Kinesis or Kafka or some, some, some queuing technology. Uh, that can be fed through um, a language translator. Let's say it's in multiple languages. So I can do uh, translation into, let's say, a base language like English. 
um, I can then feed that forward uh, into a sentiment analyzer, which is commodity, and discard the positive, keep the negative, because I'm interested in handling the complaints only. Then I can feed the, the results of that into a custom classifier, which understands my context. In other words, I understand oh, different okay. departments. And from there, I can then say, okay, I've got a negative sentiment from the beauty department. So now I can forward that piece of data onto the beauty department and say, okay, you need to address this. Hmm, okay. It, it, it's a contrived example, but it, it is a real business problem, right? And, and you know, the, the space of kind of social CRM um, and, and processing of that is, is a real thing, right? And the point is that that can be built using commodity AI with a little bit of cross-training um, w- without too much effort. You can assemble that in, in, in less than a week. Uh, very easily, right? Which f- a few years ago would have been, you know, a, a pretty large development effort. Yeah, but I mean, still, um, I mean, for, if I want to do that, obviously that is not uh, a beginner's task, or you know, just read a week. Uh, if let's say, if if you are someone like me, <laughs> um, you know, it's it's not that I can get just get started, learn about an API. I really have to put in. Uh, you know, a lot of effort into understanding something like SageMaker and uh, or TensorFlow. If you want to go down to that that lower level, yes, you need you need a bit more understanding. Uh, is why mm. we, we would suggest commodity is the way to go to begin with, uh, and, and then look at uh, custom if if you need to. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, adding the custom step is is a big step. I I would assume, you know, it's you know, the, the commodity is easy, but the custom part there for that one you need significant knowledge. I would assume you yeah you may need absolutely depending on the domain. But this is where um where where to to deliver a solution you're looking at a cross functional team. So you're looking at um, <clears throat> some data science ML experts to build that custom piece, and then uh, other people that are expert in assembling pipelines, handling data, yeah. um, uh, infrastructure as code, DevOps, all of that kind of stuff, right? So it's yeah. really that cross-functional team that delivers a solution. Yeah. And um, yeah, what what about costs also here when i use something like tensorflow um i pay you know how much i, I think you said it i i pay how much uh, it it costs to compute your model if you're, or? If you're using if you're using so tensorflow is the open source library from um, google uh, that allows you to build uh, build networks and um and train them um so in that sense you can run tensorflow on your laptop if you wish um, the only problem is that if you want to train a network of any size, um, it'll take weeks to run on your laptop <laughs> because it's mm-hmm. compute intensive. Um, and therefore, the way to do that is to is to use um, GPU enabled instances or containers um, that have the associated horsepower available to allow you to scale up that training. So then you're really looking at the cost per instance or container hour for execution um so it'll get your training done quickly but you just need to be aware of the of the costs hmm yeah i mean i would assume that uh you know those uh, t- training on a gpu is already you know it's 
it's already a service, you know, TensorFlow as a service, right? Yeah, that's so, essentially what SageMaker is. Okay. All right. Um, another, uh, let's say, AI platform I was uh, thinking about, but I'm not sure if it if it really exists. Um, you know, we we have very specialized packaged solutions like SAP or um, uh, you know all th th those business business package solution, yeah, a CRM system, uh, Salesforce, an Oracle database, you know, things like that. And I'm just wondering, and, and you know, an Oracle database is a wrong example, but I think SAP is a good example that you, you buy something and you can modify it to and adapt it to company-specific needs. And does this uh, already exist for AI that companies offer their very specific platform for a certain problem? And, you know, it might not be perfect for your problem, but, uh, you know, the company offers professional services to and consulting to, you know, adapt their solution to your problem. Yeah, I mean, certainly there are a lot of uh, companies that specialize in, in data science and, and machine learning. Um, And we're we're one of them, obviously. <laughs> we're, we we see ourselves more on the um, operational side. Uh, we do do our own research uh, into into machine learning, and maybe we can touch on that that later. Um, but yeah, certainly there are companies that that, that do that. Um, there are also uh, companies providing um, data science type platforms um, for exploration and investigation. Um, those are those are quite interesting. Um, so it's kind of like Jupyter. You're familiar with Jupyter notebooks, are you? That kind of thing. Um, um, oh, I only know the, the, yeah, the I mean, name. It's, it's really yeah. collaborative platforms for data science investigation, um, and there's a num number of interesting companies in that space. Uh, if you check out the Gartner Magic Quadrant, you'll find you'll find a bunch of them, right? Um, so those platforms are growing uh, again i would i would imagine that those become subsumed by the larger cloud providers as uh, as part of an additional offering uh, on top of uh, on top of their existing services uh, so collaborative data science platforms okay okay and um the last uh, yeah, let's say the last um option i wrote down was um building your own ai from scratch so i can assume or i would assume that maybe something like Tem tensorflow or SageMaker is not the right thing to do if you start a company like boston dynamics that's um, pretty specialized <laughs> basically that, that to me it sounds like this is something usually you know you don't do you know you you only do it if you have very specific skills and uh, and lots of money uh it's, it's kind of capital intensive right um you're not going to do that without a, a significant war chest um <laughs> the way it is right because you're you're doing i mean what they're doing is is kind of you know it, okay it's applied research but there's a certain amount of kind of fundamental research uh, pushing the envelope there right hmm. um, which is tends to be very open-ended um and tends to have no you know, no specific time frame as to when you're going to have something that you can um, get to market and make your money back on, right? Uh, although it's clear from, you know, the companies like that that 
as they begin to solve all of those problems, the value that they create is going to be absolutely enormous, right? Um, so it's like, you know, you're, you're going to win an, an entire market uh, with that investment. Uh, it's just mm. the investment. Um, yeah. So I think, I'm giving an example from our, our, our uh, work. So we're, we do quite a lot of work in the space of converting monolithic uh, older platforms to microservices um, and to uh, kind of next generation cloud. And th- the reason that's a space that we do some work in uh, and is a growing uh, space of interest is that many companies recognize that their technology investments of the past are now not necessarily fit to run in a uh, in an efficient way on cloud. So our, our belief is that you know serverless uh, will become the defo, de facto standard for enterprise development um, and that legacy workloads will shift to those consumption patterns over time. So we've actually uh, have a research project uh, which, is, which is accelerating at the moment, which is how do you apply machine learning to the process of software transformation itself? Um, which is a very interesting uh, area to look at um, because if you can uh, if you can make that process more efficient by 20 30 50 percent um, that represents a huge cost saving for uh, people that are undergoing that transformation mm. I mean for, for me it's when I hear that it, it's not in, it, one thing is costs but uh, to me, doing those things quite often uh, it's also a very high risk because if you have a system which is 40 years old mm-hmm. or maybe even 20 years old you know it's very hard to move that to a new platform and you know still everything works and you know all the you know the the strange things which happen along the way uh, th- there is a, a huge risk to to transforming those um those uh, systems i'm just wondering um for for a a big set of humans which are experienced in transforming that stuff um what would you you know what would make our life easier there do you do the you know do you find out what's the let's say the the easy part to transform and you just move the easy part to to let's say serverless workloads And the really tricky part, you say, okay, you know, there is a very hard part, maybe 20% of the application, and that I leave to the humans or maybe, you know, humans in the loop, something oh, like oh, that. Oh, so, yeah, just to be very clear, this is the, we, we see this entirely as human in the loop, right? It's, it, it's, not, uh, it's not automated transformation. What we're trying to help with is the process of pattern recognition of services uh, within code, right? So if you think about it, When you, when you do this breakdown, it takes quite a lot of um, uh, person month even to identify service candidates, trial them out, uh, move forward, repeat, rinse and repeat that process, right? And the reason is because there are, you could be talking about a million lines of code of which significant fractions, nobody in the company even knows what they do anymore um, or why they were written the way they were uh, because that knowledge has left the building. So the ability to uh, take a lot of data from the running system and figure out how it works and and figure out, okay, this looks like a candidate service and this looks like a candidate service 
can optimize that process because then the human in the loop is saying, okay, that looks like a service. Okay, well, let's try extracting that. Now let's rinse and repeat again. So you're accelerating the process through pattern recognition, which is what the machine learning is good good with, not necessarily automating the extraction process, but which I agree is is, is a next level uh, problem. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. So basically, you know, in five years or something, when you have enough data, <laughs> then it works like a charm. <laughs> oh, well, we'd hope sooner than that. But that's an example. So I guess the reason I was talking about that is really that's an example of when should you go and build something custom and there's no solution available to do that today, right? But it's something mm. that has value to us as a business uh, and therefore it, it's something that we, we, we're pursuing Uh, as, as a means of um, a means of accelerating and providing better value to our clients, and uh, we're pretty excited about that project, I have to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think one, you know, we, we mentioned the human in the loop. Uh, we never talked about it, but I think that's, yeah, that's also uh, um, you know an interesting thing, in my opinion. You know, you don't have to automate everything, but uh, you know, if you if you try to you know, help the humans to do their work more effectively, that's already uh, a cool thing. I mean, the like my, my travel bill, if I just upload my bill and, you know, not everything is uh, from my hotel and not everything is perfectly recognized, at least if, let's say, 80% is recognized and I don't have to type everything, Then I'm already you're winning, already right, exactly yeah, and I think you're, you're right. Right, the key thing is to recognize the boundaries of where uh, AI services are as good as or better than humans at the moment, right? Um, and uh, not not to try and overreach those boundaries, right? Um, so I think in the loop is, mm -hmm. is certainly uh, the in a, in a lot of cases a, a very valid approach. Yeah. Um. Yeah, to to wrap this up, I'm just you know I have I have no questions uh, anymore. So the question is, did I forget to ask anything important? I think we've covered an, a lot of ground today. Actually, um, it's a very interesting uh, conversation. Um, I suppose the, the the thing I would I would say is for people that are looking to to kind of get into this field. Um, the first step would be really to take a, just go and have a look at what's out there um, and go and see what's available. Um, you might be surprised by the, the, the development and the range of services that are available and what you can achieve with them. Um, and the second thing to bear in mind is there's rapid uh, innovation and change in this space. So uh, try and keep on top of those developments because they will, there will be many services changing over time. So, make sure that you if you're going off to build something yourself be careful because uh, you might find that it's it's it becomes available as a commodity uh, before you're even finished <laughs> that would be the two things really all right so thank you very much peter um this was another conversation about software engineering thanks very much thank you very much i appreciate your time <laughs> <laughs>